you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. We are so, so honored to have our guest with us tonight. Brother Scott Sr. is no stranger to most in this church. He's definitely not a stranger to me, a great, great friend of mine. We served on the youth committee for many years, and that was many years ago. And uh, we built a lasting friendship, and I appreciate his friendship, appreciate his anoint, the anointing of God that's on his life. He's a great minister of the gospel. He serves as assistant pastor at the sanctuary in Columbus, Indiana. And we are so honored that he took time out of his schedule to come and minister to us. Would you put your hands together and welcome the man of God, Brother Scott Sr. Come preach to us. Take your liberty tonight. Man, can we give the Lord a great big hand clap of praise all across this house? Oh, he's worthy. He's worthy of glory and honor. We just sang about because the Spirit of the Lord is here. There is freedom in this house. Why don't we just take a moment and express that freedom in this place? Why don't you lift your voice and lift your hands and let out a shout of praise of glory to God? What an honor it is to be at CLC. I watch almost every week, and if I don't watch, I listen to the podcast when it is posted. Man, I love what God is doing here at CLC and what, what's happening in the city of Frankfurt. Amen? Man, there is a mighty revival. When I was up here for Awakenings Conference, you could just feel stuff beginning to shift in the atmosphere. In this community, chains were beginning to break, and I believe that you are on the brink of the greatest revival that this church has ever seen. Amen. And I do give honor to your leadership, Pastor and Sister Johnson, or Johnson, Jordan. That's my pastor, is Pastor Johnson. Pastor and Sister Jordan, we love them so much. Amen. They are such an impact in not just my life, but lives all around this state. The fact that they impact and give. Actually, Sister Jordan was praying for my daughter when she was six years old at camp. And she was the one praying with my daughter, Millie, when she received the Holy Ghost at camp. And then I believe that she was also praying with my other daughter, Sophia, 
Amen. Praying for her to get the Holy Ghost. And that's the impact that they have in their life is that they are willing to give and give and give and invest in others. Amen. And I honor them today. And, of course, brother and sister Lytle, we love and appreciate them. And the whole Jordan family, man, I could go down the list. Gentry, Dylan, Spencer, I, I love every single one of them. And they have all impacted my life in different ways. So I give them honor tonight. If you have your Bibles, the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis chapter 26. And I will begin reading in verse 12. And pardon the lengthy reading here tonight. I don't normally take a text that is this long. But I feel to get the context of the story that I need to read just a little while. It says, Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. And now the Philistines had stopped up the wells which his father's servant had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we are. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father called them. And also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of that well Essek, because they quarreled with them. And then he dug another well, and they quarreled with him over that one also. So he called the name of it Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called the name of it Rehoboth, because here said, now, For now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And he went from there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. And I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built there an altar and called, the name, called on the name of the Lord. And he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. I want to preach on this thought for just a few moments today. Shattered dreams and abandoned wells. Shattered dreams and abandoned wells. Can we put our Bible down and lift our hands toward heaven? And can each one of us individually ask that God would speak to us? Jesus, Lord, we come before you right now, God. We feel your presence in this room. God, we know that you are here to do the miraculous in this place. You are here to set the captives free in this house tonight, God. You are here to do what only you can do. And God, I ask that you prepare our hearts, God, to be open and receptive to what you want to do in this place. And we will give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You can be seated. 
It's not supposed to be this way. Have any of you ever felt like that in your life? It's not supposed to be like this. How did I get here? I never imagined that my life would end up like it is in this moment. I never thought that my family would be in the position that they are. I, I, I never envisioned that my life would turn out the way that it's turned out. God, I thought by now you would have opened a door to my destiny. Jesus, why is my life still the one in limbo? Why is it that everywhere I go there seems to be turmoil and chaos and uncertainty? How did I become the one that's struggling financially or how did I become the one that is struggling with illness? Or why is my family the one battling cancer? Why is it that my marriage is the one that's falling apart? Why, why did my spouse cheat on me and leave? Why, why is it that my children walked away from God? Why is this pandemic happening? We, we have a life full of questions and we sum it up by just saying this is not the way that life is supposed to be. This was not the way that I envisioned it turning out. We get to the place that we just feel like there's no hope and we have no faith. Just like the man in John chapter 5 that had sat by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years and Jesus walks on the scene and, and he says, will you be made whole? And he, he just looks at him and says, I, I don't have a man to put me in the water when it is troubled. You see, he had sat there so long that he began to feel helpless and hopeless. He didn't think that there was any chance of him ever getting his healing again. But little did he know that in that moment that the one that could just speak a word and he would get up from that place and be whole was there. And all he was simply asking was, do you want to be made whole? But in that moment, the man only could think of, I don't have anybody to help me. I, I've been here for so long, I, I feel buried in this hopelessness. Can I tell you tonight that we all have stories of heartache and of trouble? Job 14 tells us that man who is born of woman is of a few days and full of trouble. We have broken lives and we have shattered dreams. So what do we do when your life seems to be broken? You see, the interesting fact about things that are broken is you can put them back together. When you have pieces, you can put it back together. My kids come to me a lot of times, especially Levi when he was younger, and he would break a toy and he would say, Dad, can you put it back together? And if there were enough pieces, I could go buy strong Gorilla Glue or Super Glue and I could try to put it back together. But what do you do when your life doesn't even have pieces to pick up, when those small pieces have fallen to the ground and they've been trampled into dust and you just reach down to pick up your shattered dreams and the pieces of your life, but there's nothing left but dust because you don't see any hope of it ever getting back together. You don't see any hope of it ever changing. My life is shattered. My life is in pieces. I can't even tell which piece goes with another piece. It seems to be all I see is dust. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, when 
At the beginning it said, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, because he had tricked Eve into taking the forbidden fruit, he said, you are more cursed than all cattle and more than every beast of the field, and on your belly shall you go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, the enemy takes that dust from your shattered dreams that you allow to fall to the ground, and he begins to feed on that. That is what the enemy uses against you. It says that he's going to eat that dust, and that dust that you allow to fall to the ground is what the enemy uses to clog your mind and to clog your well. When you take that dust and he begins to put it in your life, and you begin to try to do something for God, but but every time you start to step out and take that step of faith, the enemy begins to take those shattered dreams and he begins to clog that back up and say you're never going to amount to anything because look at what's happened you know why you you can't serve God look at your failures look at your mess up look at the things that's happened in your life you know what you can't serve God you're never going to amount to anything and he uses the dust from those dreams to clog up that well of the spirit that God has placed inside of you and he uses it to stop the flow of anointing in your life you see it wasn't too many years ago it was eight years ago that about seven and a half years ago actually that my wife was diagnosed with cancer and I remember as it was around Thanksgiving time and she was on treatment number I think it was around six or seven of number eight of eight and she the chemo had built up and I'm sure Sister Jordan could tell you that as it builds up and it builds up, you become weaker and weaker. And I'm out working, and at that time, my children were very young. And I'm out on my route one day, and I'm just singing an old song that says, Lord, I love to worship your name and give you praise. When I think of your sacrifice and the ultimate price that you pay, Lord, I lift up my hands and I worship your name. And and I'm just trying my best to break through and I'm trying my best to just sing praises to God. And fear hit me in that moment and the enemy smoked to me and he said, why are you singing now? You can't even feel God. He said, your life is over. Your wife is going to die. You're going to be raising three children on your own. Your ministry's over. And I can take you to the spot. I still read that route every month on my, and every month it's a reminder to me because I knelt down there on the ground in the middle of this guy's yard and I don't even know if anybody saw me, but in that moment it didn't matter and I didn't even have words to speak. And in that moment all I said was, started making up my own song. And I said, Your word says, you'll never leave me or forsake me. Your word says that you'll be there through it all. Your word says 
that no matter where I go, you're already there. Your word said that you are Alpha and Omega. Your word said that you're the beginning and the end. Your word said, and then I got over into Isaiah and I began to say, your word said you were wounded for our transgressions. Your word said that you were bruised for our iniquities, that the chastisement of our peace is upon you, and with your stripes we are healed. And I just looked up into the heavens and I said, God, that's not my words. That's your word. That's your word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I began to speak the word back to him. And then I felt like the, I was looking at the enemy face to face. And I looked straight in front of me and I said, devil, you don't even know what you just awoken inside of me. And my wife will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I will minister. I will be more anointed than I've ever been before. My ministry is not over. My children will live and they will serve you. I begin to speak back. Why? Because in that moment when the enemy tries to clog up that well, you need to get a boldness down deep inside of you that says, uh-uh, not today. I'm going to start opening that well back up by speaking the words of life, by speaking the word of God. Just as in the text we read today, I was reading a book last year that was called The Insanity of God. And if you've never read it, it is an absolutely phenomenal book. But in that book, it was talking about a missionary that went to the Islamic countries in the Middle East. And he began to tell how when he was in Somalia that the in the early 90s, how the opposing factions would take and they would come in with machinery and come in and, and they would fill all of the wells of the community with dirt and with dust to stop the well from being able to produce water. You see, because even in those countries, in the natural, they understand that the well is the lifeblood of a community. Where there is no water and where there is no well, there can be no life in a desert place. In the same way, the enemy of our soul, if he can clog the well of our spirit, then he stops us from being able to grow and even survive spiritually. He begins to stifle the community of believers. He can begin to stifle a church if he can start one by one picking off people and saying, I'm going to clog that well, and I'm going to clog that well, and then I'm going to stop up that one. Why? Because it takes a collective group of all of us coming together where my well intervenes with your well and connects together to have a vibrant life flow of water flowing in our churches. We cannot let the enemy fill the well with the dust of our shattered dreams. If we let our dreams just fall to the ground, the enemy will feed off of them and he will use them to get. But if you could just pick them up, and say, you know what? 
I'm going to scoop up what's left of those shattered dreams and I'm going to put it in the hand of the master builder. I'm going to put it, do you realize that when God created man, that's exactly what he did. He reached down and he picked up the dust from the ground and he breathed life into it. And I can tell you today, if you give your shattered dreams back over to God, he will take them and he will breathe life back into you. And what looked like it was impossible and what looked like could never be put back together. God can breathe life back into a situation that looked impossible. So what do you do when you've lost all hope? What do you do when your well seems to have been filled up with the dust of your shattered dreams? What happens when the seemingly small things turn in to something that you can't dig through. Because the enemy doesn't come in and just pile it all on you at once. He'll put a little bit in. Then he'll put a little bit more in. Then he'll just begin to pile it on. You see, people don't, people don't walk away from God and, and walk away from the Spirit of God just on a whim. No, it starts with a little bit here and a little bit there. Something happened here. An offense happened here. Someone did something here. Life happened here. Sickness happened. And the enemy just uses those small things to just let them pile on top of one another until it becomes to the place that you begin to feel numb. I don't know about any of you, but I've been raised in this thing. I've been raised in an apostolic home. I, I come from a home that was a great apostolic pioneer. My dad is a phenomenal man of God. And I grew up in that environment. But can I tell you, there's been many times in my life where I come to church and I lift my hands and I just don't feel anything. When I've come and I've tried to go through the motions, but I just didn't feel it. Things happen and it doesn't even affect me anymore because I become numb to what's going on. And in those moments, I have to realize that my well has been stopped up with the things of life and the things that, and I'm not even talking about sin all the time. The enemy doesn't have to catch you with sin. If he can just entice you a little bit, and he can just add a little bit of discouragement. Add a little bit of hurt. You know what? There's no hurt worse than church hurt. I'll be honest with you. I think church hurt has killed more people than sin ever has in the church. But the problem is we allow it to take root. And we allow it to stay in our well and we don't dig it out. We don't allow the Spirit of God to begin to flow in our lives to the point that it clears out that well and it clears out that flow of the anointing. We can't do it under our own power. Jeremiah tells us, For my people have committed two evils. First, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn for themselves cisterns. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. You see, we try to do it under our own power. 
How many times, and I'll just speak for my life, how many times have I went and prayed and prayed and asked God to do something and He didn't come through right on my time. And so I thought, I'll take care of it myself. I'll take things into my own hands. You know what, I trust God, but I think I can just handle it. And I've done things out with a good intention, but out of the timing of God. Outside of when God wanted to do it. Can I tell you, it may look like God has got you on pause right now. It may look like God has you in a holding pattern, but can I tell you what you don't see happening behind the scenes? is that God is preparing the way behind the scenes to open up a door for you, to open up the plan for you. Don't, don't, don't step outside of his plan and get anxious and say, I'm going to do it on my own. Because when you do it on your own, you open yourself up to the enemy to begin to pour, to pour more into your well and more dirt into there until it begins to clog up that flow of anointing. You see, the Lord appeared to Isaac, and he told them, don't go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. He had a promise from God that if he would just be obedient, that God was going to bless him. That God was going to be with him. That God was going to do his part. He said, I hereby confirm that I will give unto thee all the lands to you and to your descendants. Just as I solemnly promised Abraham your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky. And I will give them all of these lands. And through your descendants, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this. Listen to this. I will do this because Abraham. It wasn't because Isaac. It was because Abraham listened to me and obeyed me and all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed as he was supposed to. Can I tell you what you do in this moment in your life while you're waiting on God to open a door can affect generations down the line because if you disobey God, you don't know what will happen to your descendants. But if you stay obedient to the will of God and to the plan of God and you wait on the timing of God, your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren will be blessed and they will look at them and God will say, I will honor you because of your grandfather and your great-grandfather, there is something to be said about generational blessings. We hear, we hear a lot about generational curses. Well, the sins of the father are passed down to the third and fourth generation. Yeah, I, I believe some of that, but can I tell you what I believe more is that the promises of God to an obedient man 
that those promises are passed down to his children, to the third and fourth generation. We need to stop looking at the negative of curses and start saying, no, 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 my children will not be cursed. I'm going to live in the promises and the blessings of God. Yes, I'm a man. Yes, I have failures. Yes, I have struggles, but those struggles are not going to pass on to my children. I am going to let them live in the promises of God. We cannot abandon wealth and expect the next generation to just live for God because we bring them to church. I hope, I hope I'm okay here. I, I don't want to cross any lines, but I've had people say, I don't understand how my kids are backslid. I raised them in the church. And I've looked at some of them and said, no, you didn't. You raised them in your home. You can't bring your children to church two, three times a week and expect those few hours a week to override everything that happens in a home, everything that happens in a school, everything that happens in their life with just a few hours a week. No, no, no. We don't raise our children in the church. We raise our children in the home and we bring them to church and we show them how to live and how to worship. But can I tell you, it doesn't start here. It starts in our home where we teach them, where we impart to them, where we show them what it takes to serve God. We can't leave the next generation something that we didn't take care of. Oh, well, my kids will get a hold of it. Man, I don't know where this came from, but I'm just going to follow what I feel. Yeah, my kids, yeah, I struggle with pornography and addiction, but my, but, but my kids can beat it. No, you need to beat it in your house right now and in your own life. Because you don't want to take a chance that that spirit that is in your home that you think you're watching it behind closed doors and nobody sees, there's a spirit attached to that that will jump into that next room and it'll get on your children. If you're not careful, we can't leave them things that we should have taken care of ourselves. We can't get so consumed with the here and now that we forget that we're not living for the here and now. We are living for eternity. We are living for a kingdom that goes far beyond this natural life. Don't leave them abandoned wells, but let give them wells that are flowing, wells that are pure, wells that are holy, wells that are on fire for God. We need to dig again the wells that got the apostolic church to this point. We got to start redigging the wells of prayer. Not just here in this building, but when you get home at night, your kids need to hear you up in the middle of the night, pacing the floor, praying blessings over them, praying promises over them, beginning to declare the things that God has for your children in the middle of the night. They need to hear that. They need to hear you speaking in other tongues, not just at church, but in your home. We're only one generation away from losing this thing. 
but I'm here to declare not on my watch, not why I'm alive, not why I, my, not my generation. My generation's going to pass it on to the next one because we've got to redig the things that got us to this point. We got to redig the wells of commitment and sacrifice. I'm telling you right now, the last few months, my dad probably only has a couple weeks to live, is what they're telling us. And he's ready to go home. He's ran his race. He, he says he's tired. He's ready to go. But can I tell you something? When I look at his life, he looked at me, he's looked at me multiple times and said, Son, I'm not going to leave you much of an inheritance. I said, Dad, I don't need your money. Because you left me a heritage. I don't need an inheritance when I have a heritage. And what he's left behind was I was trying to calculate the other day, Brother Danny, I was just going through my mind, and I can't even calculate how many times we went to conference when my dad was pastor at a home missions church, and the missionaries begin to come across there, and he said to mom, I'm going to take on every missionary as a partner this year, every missionary that would walk through a general conference, and dad would take them on. Dad built mission, built schools all around the world, Bible schools, and, and he built churches here in the United States that he paid for debt free out of his own pocket and, and I begin to calculate all that and I said I was thinking one day in my little pity party when I was younger thinking man my dad ran this successful business but where did all the money go I'll tell you where all the money went the money went into the kingdom of God the money went overseas the money went into building churches I was preaching for Brother Brian Lane not too long ago, and I was in the middle of preaching, and, and I, I'm, it hit me because I wondered, why did the recession happen? Because I was supposed to take over my dad's excavating company, and I was already set up. It was already written down, but the economy began to crash, and there wasn't enough work to keep us really going through that time, so I went to work, and you know, in your mind, you're thinking, man, I could be making this much money and this much money. And the Lord hit me when I was preaching one night and said, I couldn't give it to you because I couldn't trust you to do the same thing your dad did. Oh. Man, it hit me. And I begin to think, man, I've got to redig the wells of commitment and sacrifice. I've got to start sacrificing the way that my forefathers did. I've got to start giving the way my dad did. I've got to start committing to the things of God the way he did because it's through commitment that God can pour out his blessings upon us. It's through our sacrifice to him that God will begin to pour out blessings into our life, not just for us to have things, but because he knows he can trust us to bless the kingdom and he will give more into our our hands because he knows that we're not going to hoard it but we're just going to let it flow out into the kingdom of God and he can use us as a vessel to flow through to finance the kingdom wells of prayer wells of commitment and sacrifice wells of faith and hope I grew up in an era where in a home where we were working one day and my dad was out on the job and we're laying, we're putting in a foundation, and so 
we're digging and waiting on the concrete to come and it's storming all around us and sirens were going off and the guy sitting there was said, hey, we had a laser out there that, to shoot grade and it was pretty expensive, especially back in that day. And the guy working for dad said, do you want me to put it up? Do you want me to, and dad said, no, don't, don't put it up. It's not going to rain until we get this job done. We're all like, okay. Sure, dad. Dad said, no. It's not going to rain till we get this job done. And he said, I prayed and I believe that we're going to get this job done. When we had finished pouring the concrete and got it covered, and we put the laser in the truck, we had no more and shut the door. And the downpour of rain came. But it didn't rain until the job was done. And I'm sitting there going, I would have put the tools up. I would have put it up because I didn't operate with the same kind of faith. Dad knew that we were on a time crunch and that that job had to be done and that he didn't know when he was going to be able to get back to it and it had to be that day. And so he prayed and said, God, you know where we're at and we've got to get this done. And he believed with everything in him that that job was going to get done before God was going to hold off the rain until it got done and it did. Why? Because Dad operated in a realm of faith that I can only dream of getting to. But can I tell you, we've got to redig that for the next generation. Our children need stories that they can tell to their kids of what happened in their life. They need to be able to look and say, my dad prayed and he stopped the rain. My dad prayed and God heard him. We need the wells of the supernatural happening. Cancer. Mm. Man, I hate cancer. I curse cancer. Watching the effects that it's taken on my dad's body right now. Watching how it affected my wife. Watching how it's right now affecting my brother-in-law. I can tell you there's nothing worse than watching somebody suffer with cancer. But can I tell you, it should not be a rare thing for someone to walk into the house of God. And to come in with a tumor or come in with cancer. And we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be shocked when someone walks out the door cancer free after they've been in an apostolic church. Why? Because that's a promise that God has given us. He told us that with his stripes we are healed. The supernatural should be common in an apostolic church. The power of God should move into this place and the anointing of God should flow so much that there is no sickness that can stay. There is no disease that can last because the healing power of God is in this room. Oh, lift your hand. If you need a healing, I'm not quite through yet, but if you need a healing, lift your hands right now. I believe that God can heal you right now in this moment. Jesus, upon the profession of our faith, God, and our belief in your word, God, and according to your name, the power of your name, let healing flow in this house right now, God. Lord, let the anointing flow to those that are sick and battling this disease and battling cancer. God, let healing happen in this place place in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus mm. you say is it that simple 
Can I tell you something? I've went down and I've laid hands on people and I've shook them. Thinking if I prayed strong enough or I, or I did the right thing that God was going to heal them. And one day I was, right, I was on my way to work and I'd had a spot on my ear that I couldn't sleep on that side because it was, it was so painful. My wife said, you need to go have it checked out and I was refusing to get it checked out. And literally, it was the middle of winter, and it was so painful that when I would put on my sock hat, that it would hurt just the touch of the fabric. And I'm just praying on my way to work, and I just went, Lord, you know that my ear's hurting. God, I, I just pray you take care of this in Jesus' name. And I went on to continue to pray. I didn't take my sock hat off the rest of the day. I didn't even think about it. I got home that night. I took my hat off. I laid down on my pillow. And I had been laying there about 10 minutes. And I went, Leah, is that spot on my ear still there? And she, she looked over and said, no. I said, the pain's gone. I didn't even think about it. Nobody came and anointed me with oil. Nobody did anything spectacular. I just prayed a simple prayer and said, God, I believe that you're able. I know that you can do it. I believe that you know what? You know what's going on with it. I'm just going to believe that you're able. And I forgot about it. And even when I forgot about it, God still did it and reminded me later, hey, I already took that away from you. I already healed you. Why? Because that's the power that we have through the presence and the anointing of God in the power of the name of Jesus we can declare those things and they will happen we got to redig the wells of the supernatural we got to redig the wells of worship I travel just a little bit I'm at home most of the time back at home again but I was traveling for a little while preaching but can I tell you, I go to a lot of apostolic churches that the flow of worship has begun to dry up in their churches. And they wonder why they're not seeing revival and they wonder why the power of God is not moving in their midst. Can I tell you, if we are an apostolic church, it starts with our demonstration of worship. It starts with us getting a hold of God. It starts with us lifting our hand. It starts with us lifting our voice, with us dancing before the Lord, with us doing things that to the world may seem crazy. But can I tell you, when you give loose of your pride and get loose of yourself, and say I'm going to give God everything I have and I'm going to worship him with everything I have if I was going to the ball game and screaming at the top of my lungs I'm going to do the same thing in the house of God if I was jumping up high fiving my neighbor I'm going to do the same thing in the house of God why because I'm not going to give the world something that I will not give God I will give God above and beyond anything that I will give the world because he is so much more worthy count your blessings if you attend this church because you have a church that knows how to worship God but once again I will tell you your kids don't just need to hear you worship here they need to hear you worship at home 
They need to hear you worship in the car. They need to hear you worship as you're cooking dinner. You say, that's funny. Yeah, I do that quite a bit. I'll be cooking in there as my wife's coming home from work. If I get home before her, I start cooking dinner. And I'll turn on, I'll turn on my Apple Music or I'll turn on something. And I'll be in there and I'll be, I've been cooking dinner before. And just the tears begin to flow down. And I begin to lift my hands and worship God in my kitchen. Why? Because I want my kids to know that it's not just on a Sunday when I'm here at the altar giving God praise but in my home in the middle of the day when I'm just cooking dinner I'm still going to give him praise because he's still worthy I can feel the anointing of God cooking dinner just the same as I can feel it at the house of God because I want them to know that the life of a worshiper does not stop in the sanctuary but the life of a worshiper it goes everywhere that you go it goes in your home it goes in your car it goes to your work site where Wherever you are, that is where a worship needs to happen. We can't let the pandemic or situations going on in the world stop us from being the church. We can't let it stop us from being apostolic. I had someone ask me last year when we were shut down for COVID and I said, Okay, we're going to do our live stream, but we need to tell them if somebody needs prayer to come by the church, and I'll wait and we'll pray for them. And they looked at me and said, well, what are you going to do if they're showing symptoms of COVID? And I said, I'm going to take oil. I'm going to anoint their head with oil, and I'm going to pray the prayer of faith. I don't believe that the anointing of God stops because of a pandemic. I've, I don't know about you, Sister Jordan. You may be able to tell me, but I, I said I've never known a minister to go pray at a hospital for someone that was sick and then catch what they were praying for that person. I never have experienced that. So we've got to get back to the place that we realize that no matter what's going on in the world, that does not affect an apostolic church. We still have power. We still have anointing. We still have a God that's in control. When wars are raging, when pandemics are raging, we still have a God that promised that in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall dream dreams, and your old men shall see visions. I'm here to tell you it still is going to happen no matter what is going on in in the world. We have people that are so dry and longing for a touch from God. Look out in your community and you'll see people that are longing. You'll see people that are hungry. You'll see people that are thirsty for a drink from the well of heaven. You'll see people that are saying, I, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. Can I tell you, the apostolic church needs to offer them a drink from that well of living water. We need to look and say, you know what? Our wells aren't stopped up here at sea. Our wells are alive and flowing. Our wells have been dug out. Our wells have pure water flowing out of them. Sometimes I feel like David when he said, Oh, that someone would give me a drink 
from the water from the well of Bethlehem which is by the gate he was away he had been away from home and he had been fighting a battle but he said I I don't want just any water I want the water from that well that fresh well by Jerusalem can I tell you something that we need to get to the place that not just oh any well will do Every, every podcast from every denominal church or every charismatic church isn't going to feed my soul because it's not a pure well no I need something from a pure well I need something from the throne room of God I don't need something that comes from man's ideas and man's schemes I need something that comes from the well of heaven you say well I tried that I got strife I got contention can I tell you dig again what do you do when you've already dug and it looks hopeless, you keep digging. You dig again. You pray again. You sacrifice again. You have faith again. You worship again. You begin to feel God again. You just keep digging until you start to see that well begin to flow. You start digging. You know what? It may look like just some wet dirt, but if you keep digging, you're going to get a little trickle. And if you keep digging, all of a sudden there's going to be a river of living water that begins to spring up out of that well. And it's going to begin to flow out of you. But it's up to you to keep digging. Just keep digging. You're not through. God is not finished with you. I don't know who that's for, but God is not done with you yet. We are going to experience the greatest revival that this world has ever seen. What about the great falling away? I've had people say, you know what? I believe that it'll happen simultaneous. I believe as those that have had this that don't desire to go deeper in God begin to walk away, there are going to be those saying, I'm so hungry for something real. I'm so hungry for something different that as those are walking away, there's going to be a harvest outside these doors of people that are saying, no, that's what I want. No, I need God. I need something that's pure. I need something that's real as the music begins to come John chapter 7 said on that last day the great day of the feast Jesus stood out and crying and said if any man thirst let him come unto me and drink he who believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart or out of his belly will flow rivers of living water 2 Timothy tells us, chapter 1, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Why does it tell you to keep stirring up that gift? Because when you begin, when dust begins to get thrown into your well. When shattered dreams begin to get thrown into your well, if you'll just keep it moving, that water, when mixed with the dust, becomes clay. And when you give that clay back over to Jesus, it can be molded in the Master's hand. 
to be whatever he desires you to be. Stop resisting the potter. Stop resisting the master. Because you, he's not molding you the way you want to be molded. No, he's molding you the way that he knows you need to be molded. Psalms 84 says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. The NLT says it this way. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord. Who have set their mind on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. But then it says when they walk through the valley of weeping. It will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rain will clothe it with blessings. Can I tell you that the wells that Isaac dug, the Bible says they were in the valley of Gerar. There's some things that God will have to take you through the valley. You don't normally dig wells on a mountaintop. Because you got a lot farther to dig when you're up on the mountaintop. But when you're down in that valley, in that low place, in that place that looks like it's going to destroy you, in that valley where, where you don't even know what's around you, everything begins to close in on you and, and you just look and everywhere you look, you look like you're surrounded. No, it's down in that valley that if you'll begin to dig in the middle of your struggle, in the middle of the bad times, if you'll begin to dig, you're going to find a spring. It may be weeping for a few moments. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy comes in the morning. Weeping may be in that valley for a moment. But can I tell you, you're going to tap into something in that valley that's going to be a refreshing spring. He dug and he found a well that brought opposition and contention. He brought another one, dug another one that brought strife and enmity. That just lets me know that not every time I dig a well am I going to tap into something that I want. But there's going to come a time if I just keep digging. That he tapped into a well of pure water. And he said, I'm going to name it Rehoboth. For now... The Lord hath made room for me. I don't know what you've come into this place carrying tonight. I don't know what you've come into this house needing God to do. But can I tell you, these altars are open if you make your way down here and you begin to dig. God's going to do something miraculous in your life. You're going to find a place that you're supposed to be. You're going to find that well of refreshing. You're going to find that well of living water that will spring up into everlasting life. God is here in this room right now to perform the miraculous. If you will just begin to dig, God will allow that water to flow. If you begin to dig, he's going to send a refreshing in this room. If you begin to dig, he's going to allow healing to take place in this house tonight. <laughs>